Hello everyone, welcome to Urbanus uh, podcast. I'm the host Donatas Urbanus and I'm joined by my colleague Ritis Vishnauskas. What's up Ritis? Hey Donatas, hey everybody. I'm really excited that the real basketball is starting. The season is here. Um, we are finally witnessing teams that more or less their full strength and at the same time we're still seeing some moves being made in the EuroLeague market so it's an exciting time and yeah there's so much to talk about in this podcast we will start from from the sad news about uh, Dusan Nivković uh, uh, also we'll discuss uh, recent rumors let's say it's, it seems like uh, Mike James is uh, coming to Monaco also Ridis was commentating uh, Supercoppa I was visiting two friendly tournaments last week in Turkey so there's 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 really a lot of to talk about but Listen, I have a question for you. Uh, yeah. You have this, you know, this Steph Curry t-shirt yes. and you have so many different t-shirts. So <laughs> when you put on it, I mean, when you put put them on your on yourself, do you have any message like you want to send? I mean, why why Steph, for example? Yeah, sometimes I do uh because probably um if I had known this morning that Mike James is coming back to EuroLeague to play, uh I would have picked the Mike James shirt you which have I Mike have James? as well yep which one well like this sort of uh-huh. uh, it's it's not a jersey it's it's a t-shirt uh-huh. like this uh, but with CSK with CSK yeah. where did you get that uh Euroleague shop okay wow the official Euroleague from shop Amazon because they like y- officially officially launched the Amazon yes from Amazon okay. but you know the thing is um, I ordered the shirt like a month before last Christmas Okay. And uh, I got it after the new year actually when Mike James was suspended for the first time. So uh, basically when I got the shirt Mike James was barely a CSK player but still. Uh, so you know some of these that I have are like um, I have a couple of Manu Ginobili's shirts even his jersey from um, uh, Kinder Bologna okay. uh, because he's my favorite player of all time which is obvious. Uh, others sort of random i find some shirts in in second hand shops actually some of them come from from the official shops let's say this one there's an nba shop in milano uh so i wanted to visit to f- buy some accessories and and i'm going straight to the shirts and i see kevin durant golden state warrior shirt with an 80% discount because that this was the summer when he joined the brooklyn nets uh so I've, i'm thinking yeah this is cheap i could get this one for like a few few euros but kevin durant is no longer a golden state player so it's kind of irrelevant so i'm going with steph because steph is top 5 my favorite players list at the moment and i like just going to a basketball podcast with steph or manu ginobili or somebody else on my on my body but uh, i have plenty of football shirts as well so by the way what what was your best you know find founding uh, the best gem you found in the second hand shops uh cebona zagreb shirt okay. in in the second hand shop in telche okay <laughs> i mean i just w- which player uh, was on it there is, just there is no name uh, but it's the old school uh, cebona zagreb logo i would say it looks like something from dražen petrovic's time It's the old Cebona Zagreb, uh, you know. Amazing. So <laughs> this is something something totally random, but you can find these uh like for example I found the Mike Michael Jordan shirt completely new 10 euros 
and in the small town, nobody knows that this is a valuable shirt and I'm just getting it for 10 euros and I'm flexing to my friends like, look, maybe somebody, Michael you know, Jordan. has some, <laughs> you know, aunt or something, you know, in, in Chicago, since we have big uh, Lithuanian community over there. So maybe, you know, maybe because recently I bought the Ben Gordon jersey as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Chicago Bulls. Hall of yeah. Famers <laughs> of Chicago Bulls. Uh, yeah. Ben Gordon. Yeah, his best was a really unstoppable shooting guard. It was good. Yeah. Last last week I was in Turkey, and you know, in Turkey uh, there are so many uh, shops, and probably I would say you know, fake. I mean, yeah. fake shops, big brands for cheap pr prices for amazing, very good, very good discounts. My friend, very good, very good price. <laughs> so you know, and uh, we were like laughing from all these shops because I mean. The whole the whole city. It was uh, city of Belek, something like a downtown or something. The whole city was like with shops or some restaurants also, and we were laughing uh, uh, from it with my colleague uh, Gitis. And but mm, in the la last day in Belek, uh, we were like, okay, let's buy something and uh, let's buy some you know basketball t-shirts, you know, for some very good price. And we wanted to buy Luka Doncic t-shirts. Uh, we saw many different t-shirts like. Uh, uh, for example, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, there were like uh, some camouflage t-shirts of Los Angeles Lakers, probably it doesn't you even exist. You mean jerseys or? Yes, jerseys. 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 Yeah, basketball yeah. jerseys. Yeah. And, you know, th there were some jerseys which probably doesn't even exist yeah. because, you know, it's Turkey and it's fake, but nobody had a Luka Doncic jersey, so we were kind of disappointed. We told them, you know, that. Unless you will bring Luca jersey, we won't <laughs> buy anything over there. Why not? They thought that Why he's a Vasa? football player. Vasa, nah, you don't even know who is, who is Vasa Misic, unfortunately, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, for me, uh, I'm I'm really proud of myself that I went to Bologna Virtus shop and I found Manu Ginobili's. When? When was it? Uh, because this, I, I would say legendary. three or four years ago. Oh. It's the retro jersey and actually almost all of them were sold out already. They had one for Manu and one for Predrag Danilovic. And so I asked, do you have medium size? He says, that's the only one left. It's it's large. But I, I, I thought to myself, I have to get it anyway. It's the last one. And he said, probably there will be no more in sale. So if you want it, you need to get it now. So listen, man, we, <laughs> when we will do the pre, pre preview of EuroCup season, you definitely have I to could wear... I, I could, yeah, I could come here with uh, either Kinder jersey or I have Manu Ginobili's shirt, uh, which says Manu forever. Okay. I have a San Antonio Spurs jersey as well somewhere. I'm not sure, maybe I lost it, but I have so many. <laughs> this is just basketball, like I said, mm -hmm. so much, so many football jerseys, shirts, whatever I have as well. Okay, let's discuss some basketball. And we had two big news uh, coming yeah. straight before or even during our road trip from Vilnius uh, to Kaunas because uh, we live in uh, Vilnius with Ritis and at, at least so far we have to, you know, record all these podcasts in Kaunas. Before, just before our trip, uh, it was announced that uh, Dusan Ivkovic, the legendary Serbian coach, uh, passed away. Uh, so let's make a short tribute uh, because, you know, whole basketball world for sure mounts uh, Dusan Ivkovic. Do you have any, like, stories to tell about Dusan? I mean, what's kind of, you know, the first picture you have when you hear uh, coach Dusan Ivkovic? Well, that's 
one of the legendary coaches for sure uh, one of the uh, best coaches of the 21st century and the ending of the 20th century we probably remember Dusan Ivković more because of his recent achievements with Olympiakos with the Serbian national team but of course he did a lot of great things in in the 90s with the uh, Yugoslavia national team with Olympiakos and other clubs uh, but what we remember is that w- when he won the EuroLeague with Oli in 2012 it was a total underdog story uh, at that moment he was one of those old school coaches and you thought maybe these type of coaches do not belong in the EuroLeague anymore and then he showed that with discipline with with strict rules with uh, great players that trust each other you can do great things and he won the EuroLeague with Olympiakos uh, another thing i remember that serbia national team was kind of struggling they had some really poor tournaments with their superstar players especially in 2005 they needed some changes and uh, dusan ivković came in and he just said that maybe i don't need so many egos in my team i will trust the young guys and at that moment serbia really had a nice team with i would say rakosjevic krstic as those two veteran leaders yeah. and a lot of young guys around them Miloš Teodosić was blossoming was at like the time 22 or something yeah. he, was, he was running a young, young Milenko Tepić Zoran Erceg I mean many many young players and they won the silver medals in the Eurobasket in 2009 I am too young to remember his like biggest medals uh, the free Eurobaskets the Olympic medal from Seoul but you can only imagine what kind of legendary coach he was at the time because Jelko Bradović was actually learning from him so um, i mean it was a shock it was shocking news actually mm. today uh, not so long ago i would say i remember him coaching fs so mm. it's sad but at the same time you can just say that this one of the this is uh, one of the true grace of european basketball yeah for me he was like a you know basketball teacher teacher for that young uh, Serbian national team and as you said you know we are from that younger generation so we don't remember all these legendary times uh, which is crazy i mean he started coaching s- at the age of 25 since 1968 i mean my my parents were born in 1965 so you can imagine uh, how long he was coaching how long he was in this job and yeah uh, besides that you know Ser- uh, his impact on young uh, and new serbian basketball generation i also remember that uh, underdog journey in 2012 and of course that uh, final shot of uh, yorgos printesis which was funny because that was the same uh, floater which jonas kozlauskas uh the opposing team head coach of CSK Moscow uh kind of you know banned him from making that floater in the practices when he was working with Printezis and Olympiakos and of course Ivković's impact on that team was great he built that chemistry for his team so that's a huge loss uh in basketball for sure well my impression always was that uh, Dušan Ivković was a strict but fair coach he was the same to everybody whether you're the best player on the team or you're the 12th guy on the roster he is strict but fair he demands a lot but and, and he was strict in terms of as as you said being fair and basketball wise he was not that you know crazy strict coach with yeah, penalties yeah. fines and stuff like that he seemed like a gentleman at the same time like a basketball he, professor i would he, say he would accept the losses 
with grace, he would celebrate the victories and all these big things they achieved together. I remember, of course, uh, probably the only moment I would remember when he completely lost his temper was the World Cup in, in Turkey when they unfairly lost the game because Tunceri was out of bounds, obviously. So the Serbians really didn't deserve to lose that game. And at the time, Dusan Ivkovic was standing for his players, of course, and the players themselves went to, into a mental breakdown, I would say. But that's completely understandable, right? Because they should have won a medal in that, that, that tournament as well. Other than that, I, I would remember him as a really strict coach, but at the same time, smart, intelligent just an example for, for many other coaches, I believe, not only Serbian coaches, but uh, all the other coaches in Europe as well. Like a few minutes later, when we uh, discussed uh, Dusan Ivkovic uh, news on, on car, a few minutes later, uh, I got uh, confirmations that it seems like Mike James is heading to Monaco. Uh, it seems like both sides agreed an agreement. It's not uh, official yet, at least... Uh, um, at the moment, we are talking right now on the podcast. But yeah, it seems like it's happening. What, what's your first take about uh, Mike uh, going to Monaco? Well, you know, I'm not the right guy to answer about Mike James because uh, in this case, I'm your driver. I'm, his I'm kind of wagon. a fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of a fan, so I would always say only good things. But uh, it makes Monaco exciting for sure. They added Since the last time we talked, they added Will Thomas, who left Kazan for some reason. And now they're adding Mike James as well to their roster. So when we were talking about them a couple of weeks ago, we would we were saying like they play some random basketball. Uh, yes, we want to see Donatas Matunas, but other than that, they do not seem very exciting. Now with Mike James on on that roster and Will Thomas as well, I'm not sure if it makes them a top eight team whether they can make a run for the playoffs. Maybe if everybody clicks together, there are so many questions, but it certainly makes them a team that you want to watch. Makes them sexy, I would say. Yeah, Mike James, you know what? He's, he's, you can have well, any opinion you want about him, about his personality or whatsoever, but it's unquestionable that he is one of the most skilled EuroLeague players at the moment. Maybe I would say he's the most skilled player at the moment mm -hmm. super talented and everything it's just that not always everything clicks for him with his team with the coach and maybe the surroundings we remember what, what happened in milano in moscow at times it looked okay but then completely lost the plot with coach Itudis at some point so if everything clicks and uh, coach mitrovic is ready to to coach Mike James and all these other players, Monaco could be interesting. I mean, they they were coming to EuroLeague like this second French team, but at the moment, looking at the rosters, you could say that they are stronger than as well, probably. Yeah, and what I like the most about uh, markets like uh, Monaco or Kazan, these are not very attractive markets, you know, for the basketball fans because before the season, you kind of can you kind of know you can predict that these teams. Uh, it's very unlikely that they will make the playoffs, but both of these teams uh, bring the superstars, actually, of the EuroLeague basketball. Now Mike James is probably going to Monaco. Unix has Mario Hezonia, and 
you know, such a high profile players help these teams uh, to be more attractive for fans, to get more exposure. And, you know, before the season, I was like, I wouldn't, mm, in my free time, I wouldn't watch Unix, probably. I wouldn't watch uh, Monaco, probably. Uh, except from, you know, there's Donatas Matiunas and stuff like that. But now I will definitely watch a few of these games, especially I can't wait to see Monaco, TSK, Moscow, for example, Unix against Planet Nikos. I mean, that's that's good for the Euroleague. But the question arises, and I would like Euroleague to answer this question at some point, whether these clubs coming from the Euro Cup have any chance to stay in the Euroleague? Because there are some rumors, and these are not official statements, these are rumors, that if you come from Euro Cup, and you make the playoffs, make the top eight, you will stay in the EuroLeague. We don't know if that's the case because Valencia didn't make the playoffs last season and now they're back in the Euro Cup. Yeah, but last season they were kind of eager to make the playoffs just so, now to, to keep them in the EuroLeague for the next but season. But again, it's not official, which is kind of strange. I, I, I think as, a, as an organization, you should have your rules and your, I don't know, protocols clear and understandable to everybody. And before the season. To journalists, the fans, everybody should know how the system works. And at the moment, we're not sure. Maybe, maybe they will stay in EuroLeague if they make the playoffs. But yeah, but what happens with all these now EuroCup finalists? Because according to recent rules, uh, the winners and the runners-up, they make the EuroLeague. But for example, if... Mario Yezonia told that his goal is, uh, you know, to lead his team to the playoffs. So what if Unix makes the playoffs, stays in the EuroLeague for the next season? So what will happen, for example, with Virtus, with Partizan? They're going to be crazy. It's, it seems unfair in either way. It, it could be unfair to the team that, uh, let's say, uh, makes a big run, maybe even to the Final Four, and next season they have to go down to the EuroCup once again. Or it could be unfair to the team that uh, puts a tremendous effort to, to win the Euro Cup to make the final and they don't get their EuroLeague spot. So I'm not sure how, how, how this works, but to be honest, I would like some clarification. Yeah. I, I like the be idea. for everyone. I like the idea uh, that if you make the EuroLeague through the Euro Cup and you make the playoffs, you know, you, you, you stay in the EuroLeague for the next season because there are many teams that, you know, doesn't make sense. So Valencia is the prime example. They, yes. have, they, they have been winning the Euro Cup, I don't know, four And you're times? just like in and out you're all in the and time. Out one year, you're you cannot here, build the team for a long-term picture. Yeah. Same happened with Malaga, now Valencia. And it, but you have to, you know, make a better communication on this case everybody needs to know before the season yeah. starts how the system works i mean maybe they have some dialogues within the league and yeah. the club owners and and coaches know maybe ju it's just but our we problem should that know. we don't know yeah the fans should know everybody should know how this works because imagine if in the nba uh, adam silver with with the team presidents uh, have a meeting and they decide look we're gonna have this play-in tournament this this year and nobody else knows. So when the time comes, everybody's shocked. Like, oh my God, there's a playing tournament. <laughs> now, now this looks like from EuroLeague point of view, because if there is a rule like this, next year, uh, some people might look, why is Unix still in the EuroLeague? Because <laughs> I think that a lot of people were surprised hearing in the end of the last season, yeah. hearing that, oh, Valencia is fighting for the playoffs, you know, just to keep themselves in the EuroLeague again. For example, I didn't know that. I think many fans, uh, many fans didn't know that. So, yeah, it's crazy. 
Yeah, and still staying with this topic, um, it is interesting the uh, circumstances, uh, the conditions, how Mike James terminated his contract with um, CSK because there was a lot of money on the plate and obviously Monaco was not paying him $2 million or something like that. I would imagine they could pay him close to $1 million, but not more. So it's interesting how CSK will compensate Mike James, how the contract was terminated, how this was solved, because a couple of weeks ago, the message from Mike himself was that I'm just staying here and getting my money. Whether I'm playing for CSK second team, whether I'm not playing, whatever, I'm just getting my money. But everything's changed and it's interesting to... It would be interesting to know what kind of agreement was reached. Uh, I, I remember he tweeted something about 2.5 million in CSK. Yeah. He made some comparison, you know, like I can work in any bar or like a restaurant if you, if pay, I, me that. If you pay me 2.5. Monaco was not paying him 2.5. No, Monaco was the team which was paying at least uh, in last few years, they were paying highest around. 300,000 euros, for example, because in, in France, you know, it's it's just normal. But for example, as far as I've heard, Donatas Matunas will get something between 700 to 800. And it, it was already kind of, you know, the biggest deal ever Monaco had. But there are some rumors that Mike James' salary might be somewhere, yeah, close to 1 million. And yeah, he should get a good piece from CSK because he had a guaranteed two-year contract yeah. uh, remaining. So probably he will... He will get a lot of money, and money money wasn't an issue at all going to Monaco. I actually think that it's a perfect spot for him because I believe he will get enough freedom. He likes the city. I mean, there's a lot of nice places in Monaco. It's probably the beautiful, the most beautiful place uh, to play in the Euroleague. Uh, he will he will enjoy that uh, a lot. I, I think so. There are no expectations on this team. The coach, okay, Zvezda Mitrovic is, I would say, strict coach. But I think that, you know, they can find some connection with Mike James. I hope so. I am excited, of course, that Mike James will continue playing in the EuroLeague. And I am excited at the same time because next week we are having this fantasy draft with other colleagues from Basket News. And surely Mike James is going to be one of my top picks because, you know, whether Monaco will be making the playoffs or making a run for the playoffs or not, his numbers will be high. He will get his numbers for sure because his talent is just off the charts. But I, I'm not the fantasy guy and I want to know, for example, the main question with Mike James for every season is if he will you know, finish the season. So, for example, if he's leaving Monaco for whatever uh, reason uh, in like January, what happens with your fantasy team? Well, I have to live with this decision and I have to uh, replace him with some, uh, big some, some someone from the free agency, from the waivers, and it would definitely be not somebody from the top shelf so that's the risk i'm willing to take it's a red flag for the fantasy game once again i i said talking about some basketball uh, decisions this is a fantasy decision is the high risk high reward situation you know if everything's okay i will get 20 efficiency points almost every week from mike james and he will deliver and maybe in the best case scenario he will make monaco a winning team which I wouldn't rule out because James can be a difference maker. Uh, everybody's talking about his bad situations in Milano or in Moscow, but everyone's forgetting that he had some amazing seasons in Panathinaikos. He went to the Final Four with Basconia. At that time, Basconia didn't look like one of the favorites. 
so he can do these great things for for, for a basketball team, and I yeah. hope he will deliver. Yeah, for he was doing good for CSK. Well, uh, talking about CSK, how we should pronounce it because we got some comments. Yeah, it's like CSK. Well, you know, since we're talking in English, it kind of sounds for me uh, more familiar. more natural to say yeah. CSK. Like the spelling, but I heard American players saying Cheska. <laughs> which, That's not good, I which guess. Which is kind of strange. If we say like in Lithuania, we would say Cheska. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Maybe we should ask our viewers and, and, and listeners to give their opinion. And if everyone would say, guys, stop with this CSK nonsense, we should do that. We should we should accept the feedback i don't know probably i lost my my thought but anyway uh, to wrap it up uh, i think oh yeah i mean i'm not sure if it was planned but monaco made some great last minute market moves uh, i don't think you can plan something like, like will thomas, will thomas uh, for example you know leaving unix he's a real profession professional great professional and he's leaving unix for it's not clear for for what kind of reason uh, you know it's not clear what happened over there but it's very strange then you have mike james in the market and when you look at their starting five like you have leo Wester, westerman great playmaker great creator mike james amazing scorer alpha diallo also uh, joined the team in the end of uh, august now we have will thomas great for for your team and donatas matunas and i mean we when we were talking about monaco two weeks ago uh, we were emphasizing that they were lacking uh, of uh, better shooters yeah. and the iq and with mike james you get amazing scorer elite uh, level of scoring and also you you know you add a lot of iq with will thomas so i don't know i like them i like them in terms of you know when we talk about bottom 10 teams because i'm excited to see them whether i like them or not yeah. i will decide during <laughs> the season i i will definitely be cheering for mike james let's say but i'm not sure if i will be a huge fan of the monaco team uh it's interesting for me to see whether Mike James will click with Donatas Motiunas. Because, you know, both are interesting personalities. I don't have anything against Demot, but let's agree that in recent years, he also had some strange situations with the Lithuanian national team, with the coaches, with the federation. He was playing in China, not in Euro- Europe. And uh, he's also an interesting guy. And Mike James is also somebody who's kind of unique. And they will have to play pick and rolls together either way. So it will be interesting to see how they will click. Maybe they will become the best friends. I don't know. Yeah, because, you know, he found a connection with Andrew Gaudilach. He had uh, other guards in his teams in China for for 40-year experience in China. And with Mike and Will Thomas, I think that the game will be easier for, for, for Demo. I hope that, you know, he will have better IQ around him and it will help him as well. So I hope for the best. Good luck to coach Zazen Mitrovic, either way. Uh, let's talk about Supercopa, right? You yeah. were commentating the uh, whole Supercopa tournament. And probably let's start from the finals because it was the main thing, the the comeback of Real Madrid. They were down by 19. And then you see Sergio Yul, you know, in tears after the amazing MVP performance. You see Barcelona giving away the title for their main rival. Second year in a row. Second year for in a row. Yeah, in Supercopa, right? Supercopa, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he won Copa del Rey. Yeah, and Copa del Rey and, and Liga Andesa, they mm. won, but the Supercopa last season also. Madrid. What was your main like impression you had after that weekend? Well, uh, 
first of all, I would like to still come back to the semifinals a little bit uh, because uh, Real Madrid had a really difficult game. Uh, the final four was in Tenerife, so Tenerife were playing on their home court and they were so close to beating Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid came to this tournament with some problems. Uh, Walter Tavares came back straight from the Afro basket. He is not ready to be the real Walter Tavares yet. Um, they were without Anthony Randolph and Trey Tompkins, so the only option in the power forward spot was Gershon Yabusele. Other than that, a teenager Tristan Vukcevic, who is still 18 years old. Um, no Rudy Fernandez, no Alberto Balde. So these are players they're lacking at the moment. And Tenerife playing at home with Shermadini at center. Gave them a great fight, but at the end, the Real won the game, two-point margin. Yabusele, MVP of the game, 34 minutes, great stat line, some clutch decisions, huge performance from him. But at at the same time, you would say that Barcelona had a semifinal on Saturday against Valencia, where Charas could, uh, he had the luxury to give everybody 15, 16 minutes of game time because they were cruising past Valencia. Valencia looked like a team who's a few weeks away from a normal regular season shape. So it was an easy game for Barca. And uh, I was thinking that in the final, Barca should have more energy. They look maybe even in a better shape as a team at the moment, maybe more prepared physically. So I really thought they are the clear favorites to win the game. And it seemed like that until the middle of the third quarter. They were up by 19. Everything looked in control. In third quarter, I would say they started defending better than in the first half. And how everything changed, it's, it's, it's really amazing. Pablo Lasso in this game had to make some decisions because usually Pablo Lasso is the coach that kind of has a set rotation. Like lineups, pre-planned yeah, like line, lineups pre for the lineups, game. But not in this game. Uh, Yabusele was in foul trouble early in the second quarter. He, he got his third foul, so Coach Lasso was forced to make some changes. He didn't play with uh, Poire and Tavares, although I thought it might be an option at some point. He didn't do that. Tavares actually barely played in the final. Poire was just flying on the court. He had a double-double. So the two people that changed the game actually was the future of the Real Madrid and... I don't want to say past of Real Madrid because he proved that he can still contribute, uh, but a legend. It's Carlos Alassane and Sergio Yul. These are the two guys that got Real Madrid back in the game. And when Sergio made the crazy butter beat, be buzzer beater, of course he did. He always does that in the <laughs> end of the third quarter. Then I thought to myself, we have a game on our hands. Barcelona is not getting this one so easily. So Sergio Yul started doing things he was used to doing five or six years ago and he was the MVP of the EuroLeague. He was making, he was driving to the basket. He was making some crazy free pointers. Uh, he, he helped his team. He showed the character when it was really needed. He played like a true champion. In yeah, the, in this and because game. it seemed like, you know, Real was just losing the game. It seemed like they were giving uh, the game away already in the third quarter. And if, when we talk Sergio Yul, I mean, when he injured, when he had that ACL injury in 2017, uh, in recent years, it seemed like he was like washed, washed off, washed well, out. He, he was well, not he lost efficient his first step. for sure, he for lost sure, his and first that step. was huge for him. It seemed like he was not, you know, efficient. Uh, he was not the same. That's for sure. But you know, you cannot 
you cannot question his heart and uh, you cannot question his leadership, uh, his veteran status. And, you know, that was what is really needed uh, for that for that team. 11 points in the third quarter. 24 in total. 24, uh, 24 and, and you know in what? Uh, 19 minutes, uh, I guess. The new guys were kind of struggling, uh, Tom Artel and, and uh, Nigel williams Goss, although in the fourth quarter, williams Goss made some big buckets, but he was struggling throughout the game. Mm-hmm. So it was up to Yule and Alassane to fix this, which they did. And to be fair, I've, I've listened to Coach Shara's press conference after the game, and he said that we gave away this title, and I would agree with that. Uh, but his remark was about the defense. He said, like, he, we were not making shots, but that's okay. If you don't make shots, you can lose the quarter 12-16, but not 12-26. And it's a fair point, but also I would like to say something more simple. If Kyle Kudic has five wide open three pointers and he, in numbers, he's the best shooter in Europe in the past couple of years, you would expect he would make at least two of them, but he missed five. So Barcelona was just like one or two Kyle Kudic open jump shots away from winning this title. Of course, Real Madrid made made a run. Of course, they were fighting for this title. It's a great team. Uh, But you can say that they didn't defend well. They gave too much to Sergio and other stuff. But I I would just say they didn't make shots when when they had to. And I don't want to blame Kalkovic because he has to Uh take those jump shots. But there were some other guys that were kind of hesitating. Nikolatas... Uh, maybe some other players. Nikola Mirotic once again went missing in this Final Four. I was, uh, I was really concerned about Nikola Mirotic, to be honest. How he looked in this Final Four. I'm not sure whether he had a conflict with, with, with the club or something. We, we saw those rumors that uh, Barca asked him to lower his wages, which he didn't agree. Uh, he seemed disinterested, to be honest. I, 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 w- I thought to myself, like, is this the real Nikola Mirotic? What's wrong with him? Maybe he's just out of shape. I don't know. But if if he's but what's, like what's this, interesting that even without Mirotic in a good shape, they had so many uh, you know st- situations where they could have killed the game, as you mentioned. Not only Kyle Kudish. I mean, there were some other uh, open looks, and the game would be over. Uh, you know. But yeah, but you know, if Mirotic looks like that, it's just that. The name says Mirotic, and you, and you know his contract and everything and his status. But if he looks like that, I would love to see Roland Schmidt playing more minutes and playing at the end of the game, actually, because he brings effort. He he's he's a fighter. He's talented. He can score. He can do a lot of things. Because when uh, Real Madrid was playing without Gershonia Busele, uh, Roland Schmidt took Tristan Vukcevic to school. Foul after foul, he was just bullying him, playing bully ball against against the young Real Madrid player. So why not? You know, Mirotic was bullying Mirotic on the, uh, on the other hand. Mirotic has that you know chip on his shoulder. It's not the first time when when it you know when the game really matters. We don't see Mirotic. You can remember the Euroleague final where he was. He, I mean, he he wasn't. He, I mean, Vasa Misic. The whole series with Zenit. When when the game matters, when it really matters, Mirotic was just off somewhere somewhere else. And it's a concern because you know Barcelona's financial situation at the moment, and it's well a luxury for you to have a struggling player with a four million dollar contract. I'm not sure if, if that's the right uh-huh. amount, something like that. Yeah, something like four point five, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So I just hope it's just too early and Maybe, of course. Mirotic wasn't fired up. It's 
it's like the first official title, but it's still preseason stage, so you cannot judge players or teams based on that. It's just uh, I'm li- I'm a little bit concerned because to me he looked disinterested. His body language uh-huh. s- seemed to be. And yeah, when they play your rival, you cannot act like that. I know you're a former Real Madrid player, but that should be like an extra motivation, if anything. Uh, It was like funny to see uh, La Provita Lagarde and Gartel, but now they switched places because La Prop is playing for Barcelona and Gartel is playing for Real Madrid. I also think that Barca lost lost control. They were up by 17-19 in the end of the third. I think that they lost the control when... Nick Kalaitis started to do some crazy things like alley-oops, uh, like air balls and stuff, which was, you know, not according to Shara's uh, plan. And also when Rokos Jokobaitis uh, came in, uh, that was a really bad uh, break uh, for, for Jokobaitis. And it seemed like, you know, that Barca was relaxed. They believed that, you know, the game is over and Real won't make the comeback. And it was a huge mistake and it was really uh, very tough, you know, to come back in their, you know... Um, previous shape, you know, previous uh, regime. And when you mentioned uh, Sergio Yule and also Alisson, I would say that Vincent Poirier was also crucial. And I think that that was the fit which was really needed for Lasso the last season because the way he runs the floor, he can block the shots and he, he can, you know, uh, run the transition it's and, perfect and, and he can make situations. the alley-oops like he did in that game. Yeah. Uh, he grabbed that crucial offensive rebound in the last minute of the game and you know with his free throws he uh, created the lead for Real Madrid so I think that especially in this situation when Tavares is dealing you know with the setback after the Afro basket and also he has he needs time you know to figure out how to play with Ertel with Gus and all these you know new players but Vincent Poirier was was really good the way he's playing the, the style the style of of Vincent Poirier is, is really good for Lasso and for this Real Madrid. Yeah, he looks sort of like in the past they had Gustavo Young, which you mentioned in mm-hmm. our previous podcast. So he gives more or less the same things. They can roll, smart player, strong body, uh, and it's a different center. It's it's nice to have different options in 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 the same position. You have Walter Tavares, yeah. the rim protector. And Vincent Poirier, more of the athletic pick and roll type of center. And the thing is that both of these uh, French players, big guys from France, look in a, they, they look in great shape after the Olympics. Uh, Yabusele and Poirier, because Yabusele played the most minutes uh, from the Madrid team in this uh, Supercopa, and he didn't look tired. He made some great decisions in the fourth quarter. His once again, his passing is so important when he plays his power forward position, when he plays back to the basket, he sees everybody, he sees who is open, he can make a risky pass, but he knows uh, where his teammates are. He, I believe, had like three or four assists in the, in the final. Uh, so both uh, Poirier and Yabusele look like they are so happy playing basketball after the Olympic Games uh, with, with the Fran- French team. And uh, about Barca, I wanted to add... I, I will just add okay. about uh, yeah. Poirier that um, Barca built their lead when Tavares on the, was on the court and he was like for- forcing uh, his game. 
not not even himself forcing the game. Real was forcing uh, the game through Tavares in the paints, and Piero Riola did an amazing job. Oh, yeah. Both uh, stopping Tavares one on one and also defending all these uh, pick and rolls. He was spreading the floor uh, the floor great in the first half. But as soon as Tavares was on the bench, you know, Poirier and all that, you know, five on the court, they just changed the momentum. So I think it was also very important. Uh, yeah, for and Piero Riola actually. Kind of underrated mm-hmm. because last season he had to make a spot for Pau Gasol because Pau Gasol had had to play so Piero Riola was like a third center at a time but he is the captain of this team he is a true Catalan uh, he always plays amazing in El Clasicos as far as I remember uh, he is not shooting a lot of frees but when they face Tavares and Real Madrid he would take three or four uh, three point shots and he makes them yeah. That that's what happened last season. That's what actually happened in this game as well. And three three pointers from and, five. So and he looked like even better than Brandon Davis maybe in this in this Davis game. Davis was so bad. Yeah, yeah Davis didn't look good. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna judge Davis no, for no, taking no. that uh, last shot. That was a normal decision because uh, their first option was uh, cut. So they had to inbound the ball to Brandon. And of course, Real Madrid was going to foul. They had a three-point lead. So Davis just took the shot straight away. That was the best he could do at the moment. And it, it didn't go in. They appealed for the foul. Actually, it was a foul. It looked I, like. I talked with referees and they told that it was a foul. Because, you know, there was a contact. And uh, okay. I don't remember who was defending Davis. Uh, Alison. And his legs were moving into Davis. And there was a contact. And, uh, you know, you can also So there should have been free free throws. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, it's not clear if Davis uh, would have made all of these uh, free course, free throws. But that was that would that have been a, a crucial chance. moment. That yeah, would have that been a, a chance for moment. them to tie the game and go go to the overtime. Even though they their Real Madrid would have the last shot, maybe they yeah. would have a game winner. We don't know that. But if it was a foul, then of course uh, Barcelona were appealing for that, and they were right. Uh, anyway, what I wanted to say about Barca, uh, I'm not a big fan of these 12-man rotations, to be honest, when you play important games. I know you have a deep roster, but uh, to me it looks more natural when the coach plays with 9 or 10 main players. And in this case, for example, if uh, La Provitola is changing Calates and it kind of works for you two or three quarters, then bringing in Jokubaitis as the 11th guy doesn't make much sense, to be honest. Yeah, La Perutula actually played only six minutes, like but compared to 13 in, in of the first half. So in the first yeah. half, he, he, it was the same against Valencia, the rotation, but against Valencia, you had a lead. You were in your comfort zone. Everybody played 16, 17 minutes. It was understandable. But in this game, I don't know. I'm not sure if it is necessary when you play the El Clasico to use all 12 guys and to give minutes to everybody. Maybe Sharas had some idea what Jokubaitis could bring at the moment, but as you said, his minutes were not really quality minutes, and the team kind of lost the rhythm and lost control at that moment in the third quarter. Yeah, and probably to wrap it up, uh, there are two things uh, I would like to add, that we saw a different Real Madrid team uh, before we will see them again in the upcoming season, because they were like they were liking off Anthony Randolph, Trey Tompkins, uh, Trey Tompkins, Abalde. Rudy Fernandez, Abalde, Tavares was not in shape at all, and we are talking about five players. But at the same time, uh, if, if we w- discuss all these problems of Barcelona, um, you know we have to remember that they were up by nineteen against their rival again, and it seems like that for this Real Madrid team, for Pablo Lasso, it's very, it's very 
tough, d- difficult, you know, to be a good matchup for Barca because we can remember Copa del Rey, solid, very solid win by Barca. Also, ACB finals, pretty clear uh, final series uh, by Barca. They were swept 2-0, I guess. Of course, uh, Real didn't have, you know, they were lack of Campazzo, Gabriel Deca and stuff like that. It was the most difficult season of yeah, Pablo Lasso's career. They had to change all the game. I mean, from being top offensive team in the Euroleague, yeah. they became like a, one of the best defenses in the Euroleague. Yeah. So it's not, probably it's not the right comparison, but at the same time, you know, that game also showed that uh, it won't be easy for Real, you know, to hold that. Well, if, it won't be easy. It's, nev- it's never easy uh, in this level, but I think that Real Madrid is much better this year than they were last season. And uh, I, I believe in their chances. I believe they can do a lot this year in the EuroLeague, in the Spanish League as well, challenging Barcelona to, to try and get back these titles. Uh, we talk, as Lithuanians, we talk a lot about Sharas, about his tactics, about uh, his impact on the team, that he is one of the greatest coaches at the moment. But we kind of underestimate Pablo Lasso. Oh, yeah. He, he's coaching this Madrid team for 10 years, since 2011. He won 21 title. Everyone, everybody trusts him. He trusts his players. They have such good chemistry in that team. Every, every new player that comes to Madrid, they, they seem like a perfect fit. So Pablo Lasso does a great job and he's a great coach and and these comebacks they don't come from nowhere only a team with great spirit and mm. and character and champions like Sergio Yul in, the, in their roster can make comebacks like this playing for the Supercopa. Yeah, so he implements all these young players. A lot of credit year. has to be given to Pablo Lasso. He mm. yeah, as you said, he trusts the young guys and maybe this year uh, Carlos Salasen will have his breakthrough season because from what I saw in the Supercopa, uh, he looks like he trusts his jump shot more. He makes his uh, jump shots. He made two three-pointers against Barcelona. He's a tall guard. He, he He's good on defense. He's athletic. So he's still 20 years old. He could be the guy that solves a lot of problems for Real Madrid. Not necessarily Williams Goss or Thomas Hertel. Carlos Alessand could be the guy that steps up in the season. Especially when Goss is still struggling. Hertel is not a, that efficient. Like like in five five games, he averaged 6.6 points and on 33% of shooting. Goss was averaging like 7.2 and it seems like he's still trying to find his way. For example, Cozer was one of the best scorers, 10.6 uh, points per game. So it kind of, you know, shows that uh, Alessandro will have some chances in this Real Madrid uh, team. Nothing to compare with the last season, for example. Yeah. So that's, Pretty much that's it about, about Supercopa. It was, a, it was a good weekend of solid Spanish basketball and um, I'm really excited that this year uh, I will be the commentator not only for EuroLeague games but also for the Spanish League which is the most interesting regular season in Europe so it will be great to see the, these teams a lot more this, this season uh, The level of basketball in Turkey when I was in two tournaments in Gloria Cup and Istanbul Cup was not that good actually I have to admit well, I mean, I didn't have any expectations. My idea was, you know, to follow all these big stories like uh, Partizan. Uh, we had like eight interviews in, in four days. But my main focus was mostly on, on, on Partizan. And I mean, everybody was hyping them uh, before the season. Everybody was uh, getting crazy about all these signings like Kevin Punter, Zach Day, also Kuruc and uh, other guys. But I, I don't know. After that weekend, I felt... 
that I, uh, I felt that I kind of felt bad for Jelko Bradovic because we know Jelko Bradovic, we know his style. Uh, that he's a perfectionist, that he loves matured players, that he loves smart basketball, that he likes f- to follow the rules. But uh, when you see Partizan playing, and they weren't that bad. I mean, they won against the Euroleague team, uh, Monaco, uh, and uh, I don't take you know that serious that uh, game against Fenerbahce uh, when they were down by 30. But at the same time, I see that you know Jelko is having 20-year-old main point guard, Yamadar, who's still very inexperienced, very talented, very skilled player, but he lacks of experience. Then you see that he has 21-year-old main center, Alan Smilagic. And uh, when you watch Jelko, you know, shouting on his players, explaining them how the game should be played, I can see that it's, it's going to be a very long journey, actually, for his team and for, for Jelko. And an example, when you can compare Partizan with Virtus, you see a completely different situation. Scariolo having such an experienced players like Teodosic, Bellinelli, Udo, uh, our like good players like Kevin Hervey, for example, Nico Mannion, if he will be all right, you know, with his body and with that virus and stuff, is gonna really challenging for Partizan. And uh, uh, okay, maybe I'm I'm wrong uh, to make uh, any kind of predictions uh, after one friendly tournament after one weekend, especially when they had a triple overtime game uh, against Monaco, which probably could have impacted not only their level of energy in the final against Fenerbahce, but also the way they were like thinking on the court. But, you know, we know that Jelko had many rebuilding situations in Panaikos and, and, and all these uh, Fenerbahce, all these teams, but he always had more experience. He always had a, you know, I would say better talent. So with Partizan, it won't be easy for him at all. But it's a Euro Cup team, let's not forget that. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, they're built to win the Euro Cup or at least make the finals. And if you look at other clubs in the Euro Cup, okay, uh, I would agree that Virtus uh, seems very serious with coach Scariolo. Other than that, Valencia, I saw them this weekend. Nothing special, really. A team that is not only vulnerable, but also in a bad shape, really. They did not have a true power forward. They had to play with Toby and Dubljevic in the same lineup. They have a new coach, probably learning a new system. So the guys that you mentioned, yes, some of these are young players, but they, there's quality in this team. And to win the Euro Cup, to be in the finals of the Euro Cup, it will not be as difficult as it might look like because there are not many teams that seem better than Partizan. What can you say? Maybe the Russian clubs. Locomotive, probably. Yeah, Loco. Valencia, at some point, will get better. They usually go at least to the semis in, when they play in the Euro Cup. But um, I wouldn't be so concerned about Shelko because uh, when you mentioned uh, Fenerbahce, in the first couple of seasons, it was a complete chaos. They were signing some big names, but they did not have a team. So Jelko Bradovic was also going crazy. Finally, he got his team when when they made the signings of Slukas, Datome, Yudo, Kalinic. Uh, but it took some time and, and it's a process. And I believe that in this case, it's a process. It's just a different one when you have some youngsters that need to develop. It takes more time. And if, if you imagine them, let's say, as a long-term project with Jelko and they will be in the EuroLeague two or three years from now, 
these young guys will be better, or maybe some of them will be in the NBA. They will get some buyouts. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't be I, a, so I'm, concerned. I'm not kind of you know ruling them out of you know title, mm, winning the title or, or, or something. I I just say that you know it's going to be a very long journey, and probably I believe that in Serbia the hype is huge. Well, but and let's put can, it this way. I'm sorry. Do you agree that they look better than Zvezda mm, on paper? I think so. I think so. Okay, so who's going to stop them from winning the Adriatic League? Adriatic League. I'm not talking about the Adriatic, Adriatic Only League. Only For me, the Euro Cup but is maybe, you know, a bigger com- but, but, competition. But through the Adriatic League, could you get the Euro League license in the way? Like, Probably. Like Zvezda does? Yeah. Okay, if that's that, yeah. So the main the goal is goal? to get to the Euro League one way or the other. Yeah, probably you're right. I was just more talking about you know winning the Euro Cup, which is harder in in partisan yeah, scenario. For sure. We'll see, we'll see, because you know with all that hype, with all these fans, with all these ticket sales, I just I'm just saying that a lot of people think that they will be just destroying teams and stuff like that, but it's it's not going to be easy. Although uh, what I like, you know, when I watch these young guys like my luggage uh, Yamadar, they had some great breaks, uh, especially my luggage when he started, you know, doing everything on the court, yeah. like from from penetrating, from from making some crossovers, from making threes. He he was he was a highlight reel. Uh, I loved, you know, to watch how Zach Lidé uh, and Kevin Punter took their role in that team, not just being the best players on the court, but at the same time being the most vocal players on the court. Being Leading by examples. Example. Yes, for example, Zach Lidé is the loudest guy in the gym. And, and I remember Fenerbahce fans were like laughing when he was like shouting, you know, his guys to come back to the defense. He actually, I think that he made the pressure for the referee to, to, to make the three-second violation call when Zach Lidé was actually on the bench behind his team. And Kevin Panther was the same. And Zach Dale was was killing. He was like a Dennis Rodman. He he jumped for the ball in the fourth row, which was clear that he won't get that ball. But he jumped in the fourth uh, row and like maybe two times in in whole weekend. Kevin Punter, uh, we know him as a great scorer, uh, amazing talent. But at the same time, he was also like you know teaching the young players of uh, Partizan, also being vocal, uh, s- telling them you know what to do, and he you know took that role uh, seriously. And and we had a really great interview um, before the Istanbul uh, Cup uh, because his story is crazy. Uh, he came to Lavrio uh, at his first season in Europe. He spent his first two seasons in Lavrio in Belgium, Antwerpen. And also the second season was in in Poland and Rosa Radom, something like that. His first salary was like forty thousand, and he told that he just couldn't adjust. We think that it's very easy for us, for Europeans, to travel all all around the Europe to adjust. But he he find he found hard even you know to understand why his cell phone was not working when he came out of United States in Europe. It was not working. He found it hard to, to understand that we have you know different like. Rosettes, I don't know if I... I sockets. Yeah. Electrical yeah. sockets. Yeah. So it was a very hard adjustment for him being one of few, maybe alone, a foreigner in that Lavrio team. And he wanted to, to leave Europe in December. But then he made adjustments. He made adjustments both off the court and on the court, especially. He was very eager to learn. And now we, we can see that he managed, you know, to, you know, to like uh, to transmit his scoring uh, abilities to the greatest level that now, you know, he laughed when I I told him that, you know, from that guy 
who was like getting 40,000 per season. Now you're deciding between Milano, between Partizan and the best coach in Europe wants you. So it was an amazing story, an amazing journey for him. And he wants you now to share his experience. So I believe that these guys will help the, the, that team to grow. And it's uh, very nice to see the difference, not just in terms of yeah. level, but of the experience and understanding the game. They have to help. But, you know, uh, one thing that is in their favor, I would say, if we agree that they need time, uh, the new EuroCup system is more favorable to these kind of teams because uh, in, previously in EuroCup you would have the group stage uh, consisting of six games and we would see teams, good teams like Loco. Four teams. Uh, yeah, oh, four, sorry. Four, yeah, six games. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, play sorry, six sorry, games, yeah, home yeah. and away. So four teams in the group, two qualify for, for the top 16. So in, in the past we've seen teams like Loco with a lot of talent, but they do not start season very well in the in October, in August, in November. They look like they're still trying to find their game, and they lose one, two, three games, and they're out. Yeah. Now uh, in EuroCup, you have like a complete regular season, and if you lose two or three games in the beginning, it's it's okay. It's manageable. You can live with that. Because eight teams of 10 makes the playoffs. Yeah. So it's more favorable for any team that is completely new because even though these are big names, it's a new team, new coach, absolutely new players. It has nothing in common with what Partizan was two years ago. So it's built from scratch. But they have that. When I say that they need time, they have time. Mm. They can start playing their best basketball in December or in January and and win these titles, Euro Cup or the Adriatic League. So it's it's fa more favorable for these teams. The new system. It was a very emotional return for for Jelko. Uh, I know that he's not a fan of these ceremonies uh, or anything, but you know they made kind of you know a farewell sermon ceremony before the Fenerbahce game. Uh, and I remember that okay maybe. Uh, Triple overtime game also impacted his, you know, physical state. But I remember, you know, I wanted to interview him after his first game against Monaco. It was his first game back to Ulker Sports uh, Arena. But when I saw him, Fenerbahce TV was making the interview straight after the game because, you know, it's, it's Fenerbahce. And w what was weird... Probably it's very uh, usual in, in Turkey that the reporter is making the question in Turkish. Then Jelko has a translator which works for the club. The translator, you know, translates the question in English. Jelko answers it in English. And translator is answering uh, the question in Turkish for the reporter. Probably for the, you know, public, for, yeah. for the Turkish uh, basketball fans and all the people. And when I saw him, you know, making that interview, when I saw how exhausted he was, both physically and emotionally, I could kind of you know read help me uh, on, on his face <laughs> yeah and i was like okay i it's it's like just a preseason and I, I won't you know put the goats in that situation you know yep. just to make a comment ab about you know post game stuff and things like that uh, so i tried you know to approach him the next day but when you lose game by 30 when you lose game by 30 to your former team where you were like a god uh, i think that I think this is important for Jelko actually, because I remember when he was coaching that unfamous Serbian national team in 2005, and they lost the friendly game in Greece in Oaka, where he was already, you know, a god of Oaka, and they lost by 19 or something. They were terrible. And he felt really ashamed, but mostly in a way how his team approached the game, because later, a few days later, he found out that most of the team was like parting up to five uh, in the morning. Uh, but he felt really bad because, you know, he was 
respected in Greece, but his team lost by, you know, 20 points. So maybe this was different, but uh, I saw that, you know, he, he probably took it hard, all this experience, maybe uh, because, as I said, it was very emotional. Maybe the final result didn't, uh, you know, uh, also disappointed disappointed him. And it was it was strange uh, to see him, you know, uh, Fenerbahce fans were great. Uh, they were like uh, something up to 2,000 fans. They were singing all these Obradovic songs. Uh, although they lost the game, after the game, they were singing, you know, that uh, Obradovic, Obradovic, Obradovic thing. And he was like, you know, leaving uh, to the locker room with his, with his head, da- head down, uh, leaving through the guests' tunnel, which, is, which was, again, very weird because I, I asked the press officer of Fenerbahce before the game, uh, I told him, listen, so where Jelko is coming from, where we could, you know, put uh, Gitis, our video uh, guy, uh, you know, to, to to film him. And he told that usually guests are coming from that corner, but since it's Jelko, it's his home, you never know. <laughs> he, he entered through the guest corner. There were some fans approaching him. At first, in the vo- during the warm-up, uh, fans weren't allowed uh, to enter the stands. Probably it was more like one hour before the tip-off, but then uh, some some fans uh, uh, finally entered the court, entered the, the stands. They approached him for some selfies, and you know you you could you should you know see that Jelko face like oh my god it it you know it starts again. But okay, he made all these selfies. He even got some gifts, bunch of flowers, kind of bag of some goods. I mean it was it was weird experience, but at the same time it was really nice to. To, to watch him back in basketball, yeah. actually. Okay, but talking about Serbian coaches, uh, what's the current mood in Istanbul about uh, Sasha Djordjevic, the new boss of Fenerbahce? Uh, I heard that Fenerbahce is happy how he connected to this team. We know that this roster was not built for him. It was built for Igor Kokoshkov. He couldn't make any signings. But in the way he approached the team, in a way he... He worked with the team so far. I hear that uh, Fenerbahce is doing good, and probably you could, you could see that on the court because I love the way they were sharing the ball. I love the the way they were playing, and even though they had really a lot of adjustments, a lot of new players, it didn't seem like that they were having major you know changes during the summer. So I think that Djordjevic was uh, is doing really good job so far. Such, we'll a, see. such a strong character. I just hope he will find his dialogue with, with uh, Mr. Gerardini and everything works for them because we, we remember what happened in Bayern. In all teams, We remember actually. what happened in Pau. In Virtus. Yeah. The same. He was like fired. The next day he, was, he, he came back to the team. It's kind of a unique situation when you get good results but at the same time the coach loses his job because he does not agree with some ideas or anything from f- that comes from the general manager because i remember uh Djordjevic was uh, sacked by bayern munich mm. when they were in the semi-finals of the euro cup and they were leading in the german bundesliga so these were great results and also um with virtus as well they, mm. they were moving forward everything was okay and they they made this decision so i, I just hope everything works out well in fenerbahce it's a very professional organization with great leadership so i think that it could be a good home a good fit for sasha georgievich and his demands because he's a demanding coach um and another thing i wanted to ask you of course uh, uh, your trip was also about uh, the other team from istanbul and you met the euroleague champions you had some conversations with ergen ataman with wasa misic 
how are they approaching this new season? H- how are they feeling after what happened last year and, and the year before the pandemic and everything when they were the best team in, in Europe? Guys, just a quick reminder, our bonus is available on all major streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. Uh, just write your bonus in, in the search bar and make sure to follow us uh, so you don't miss out our future episodes. Also, do not forget to visit basketnews.com where you will find the latest European basketball news and exclusive content. They're so relaxed. I mean... <laughs> We could saw we could see it the last uh, season. They kind of they were eleventh, uh, the time of like New Year or something like that. And the FS is probably always like just switching that button. That okay, let's let's start playing. So I mean, uh, to describe the status of being relaxed, uh, I would say that for example, the great example was uh, in the game against uh, Tofash Bursa. Tofash would like kind of earned to was deser- deserved to win that game they were up by 10 something like that they were controlling the game but wasa who actually flew from barcelona to istanbul and to antalya the same day the game happened and he started his journey at like five in the morning he didn't practice with the team like for a few days he came uh, to antalya he he joined the shoot around and later uh, that night he played uh, some crucial minutes in the second half and he kind of you know led his team to uh, an amazing victory and it seemed like you know they were like were tired or it was like just boring for them to to, to get back in defense and stuff. So Butofash made a lot of uh, transition, scored a lot of from transition. But as soon as they just clicked that button, they, they, they won the game. And probably that's what you can expect from them for the upcoming season. Mitsuch told that he also thought about that. If his team will be hungry enough to repeat what they did uh, before, bef- because he, he got very early offer from uh, TSK, from CSK. Uh, he had that, you know, NBA opportunity and one of the question marks over FS was if all these guys who are aging, uh, if they will be hungry enough, but he thinks that everything will be uh, okay, but I'm not surprised to see them relaxed uh, at confident. all. Yeah, they're confident. For example, Ataman. Ataman is amazing. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, first of all, let's start with this phone cover of his. <laughs> phone case, yeah. If somebody has a phone case of, with his own picture with a EuroLeague trophy, it just shows that he has big confidence in himself. <laughs> uh, Ataman was never lacking of confidence. <laughs> That's the way who he is. And uh, was, what was funny uh, that like maybe 35 minutes before the game, we that night uh, before Tofash game, we had interview with Martin Schiller, like, uh, half an hour before the game of FS and Tofash. And later uh, that night, we had interview with Vasa Misic after the game. So we had all our cameras set in a kind of a game room, in a room where we could make that interview. And I just wanted to check if everything is all right to go to that uh, place. And I came, like again, 40, 35 minutes uh, before the game. And I see that Ataman in that same place was already giving the interview um, for the Turkish media, like 35 minutes before the game which is completely uh, crazy. And then later they just, you know, started bad and they won the game. That ah, was, it's an exhibition that was game. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. cares? For them, the regular season is like exhibition. More and or less. The, yeah. the basketball starts in the playoffs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> then That's they right. get serious. But uh, are they looking for another big guy? What do you know? Because no. they, they didn't replace Sertac and Lisa. No, so far they signed Filip uh, Petrushev. And okay. he's doing... Uh, 
completely all right. Be, uh, you know, he's a young guy, and I thought that he will need more time, a lot of time to adjust. But he was scoring. He was, you know, giving energy for his team. Of course, you know, when he when his team was, you know, relaxed after that championship journey, he was like uh, the most the most exciting player in the court from from FS side. But he was doing really good, so I think that will be a nice fit. And both Misic and Ataman were very happy that they bring him. Because I remember in the summer there were rumors about them chasing Jack Landil, and he they had an agreement. Eventually, he went to the Spurs. Yeah, they had an agreement, but there was NBA out option, and eventually he had yeah that surprising contract okay. from Spurs. So they're all set. Yeah, they're all roster. set. They're good. No, no more replacements. Only Sertac and Lee leaving. I'm really interested to see in two years' time how will the rebuilding of an Adolfes look like. Uh, of course, they have the budget. They have the money. Will Ergin Ataman be part of this rebuild? Uh, will he start from scratch building a new team? Because they will have to do that. Uh, maybe not necessarily next year, but in two years' time, definitely. They will be replacing five or six players. Ataman is great GM. He knows how to build a good roster. So I believe that you know he could start that rebuild. Sometimes you have coaches which you know that for that kind of rebuild, you have to you know to change everything, yeah. starting from yeah. the coaching staff and stuff like that. But since Ataman is a great GM, he also told about his uh, uh, preferences, how he builds the team. He told that his trip to San Antonio a few years ago made a huge impact uh, for him, for his style, for his approach. Because what I didn't like a lot about Ataman is he, he was rude, I would say. He was in the too past. strict. Yeah, in the past, like a few years ago, before Anadol Efes. For, for example, uh, he was like uh, making crazy practices. Uh, for example, they had a game uh, and after the game, they had a long uh, road trip by bus at 10 o'clock and they were like uh, going home like overnight and at 5, 6 or 7 in the morning, he's making the practice for his team because they lost the game. Uh, they Sometimes he had punishments like, you know, keeping his team in the hotel at home until they win the game. And <laughs> these are just few examples and these are not the worst examples, actually. But he changed his mentality and he told that uh, that experience in San Antonio helped him a lot. He talked a lot about his son, the 11-year-old uh, Sarp is his name. And the way he changed made him soften, uh, softer, I guess, in a good way, uh, because he was always angry, he was always, <laughs> you know, reacting wild, and, you know, having child next to you, and especially the way he's thinking, uh, he was like, um, when Ataman was angry and Larkin didn't play well, he was like, Ted, why you don't invite Larkin for a dinner? know just to talk about things and he was like okay that's a good idea <laughs> and he was nice. he was around the team all the time and you know bring that kind of a different perspective because yeah. he uh, he was very natural so these kind of things changed the way uh, Ataman was approaching his team he's not a tyrant uh, like he was before yeah. uh, he he's more uh, team friendly i would say because you know what he did with fs right now makes him a coach on the rise, I would say. But if, in addition to this, he would make a successful rebuild and would replace Mitzic, Larkin, Simon, Dunstan, Anderson, all these guys with new ones and do it again, that would make him legendary. Because if you can do that, you can build a team, win, then build a new team and win again. Regardless of the budgets, 
there are six or seven clubs that have a lot of money, but some of them never win EuroLeague, let's say Milano, for example. But if you could do that, uh, I, I would say that that would be very impressive and it would make him sort of legendary. He's already like a he's legend. A, he, he he, he's a cult hero at the yeah. moment. And like <laughs> I said, a coach on the rise. But I wouldn't say that he's a legend yet. Yeah, he has to establish He's a legend in the making. Yeah, be, because he already won four major uh, FIBA club tournaments. Uh, Supporta Cup, uh, uh, Euro Cup, uh, I think that uh, FIBA Euro Challenge or something like that, and the Euro League. And only f- two coaches, uh, probably... I'm not sure if it was Dusan Ivkovic actually and Aito Garcia RNSS probably these two names. Well, but let's be real. Yeah, it's different. Pablo Lasso and Sharas will never coach in the FIBA yeah, Euro yeah, Challenge, yeah. so they will not win it. Well, I want to say, you know, he had some yeah, titles. I know, uh, I know, I know already. That, yeah. But I got your point. Yeah, okay. I agree. Right. So these are your impressions from the trip. Well, anything yeah. else? Yeah, yeah. You well, saw some Shalgiris games. Maybe you want to say some things. Should we be concerned or should we just say that this is the preseason, it's a new team, give them some time or do you think there are some concerns? I think that there's a lot of room for concern because you know, their preseason is like 0 to 5. Uh, I don't see a lot of positives when I watch them playing. I didn't like, especially uh, during the first game uh, against Lokomotiv, uh, they lost again. Uh, they were bad not only on the court. I didn't like their body language off the court. I didn't see any energy. On one side, uh, I see Alan Williams, Jonathan Motley getting crazy. All these bench players, all these young Russians getting crazy, you know, cheering up uh, for their guys. And then on the other side, I don't see any uh, spark, any energy. And the same I can see on the floor. And for example, uh, Emmanuel Moody, uh, of course, he, it will take a lot of time for him. Uh, we cannot judge him at all during the preseason. But personality-wise, it seems like he's more like into himself. He's not that vocal as the other point guard could be, you know, to involve all of the other players. So Jalgris needs some sparks. And since they have so many veterans, uh, since all the main guys, even some uh, newcomers are kind of, you know, good guys, there's a lot of good guys. But we need some, you know, badasses we need some some young spirit you know to cheer that team up and j- it's just one thing of all the problems Ralgris has right now uh, I, I know for sure that there will change some things uh, regarding to their strategy uh, they will do some you know they, they made some conclusions uh, but there's a lot of to do actually i hope that you know maybe the the impact uh, the kind of physical preparation for the season made kind of an impact because in turkey they they made only 24 percent of three pointers and that's the huge uh, uh, they're emphasizing uh, three pointers for the next season because they they bring more shooters you know to increase the number of uh, three point attempts because they believe that uh, in it it will make them more successful but you know all, all their main shooters are shooting in, in really bad uh, numbers uh again i don't see many positives uh, so far but at the same time is the preseason we remember that the last th- last year a lot of people panicked when they lost yeah. to milano by 20 points and they started the euro season what 5-0 something like that situation is different because there's okay covid is still there we see maccabi example but teams are preparing Teams are in a better situation yeah. when they uh, were uh, the last year, so it won't be easy uh, for Jargiris. I would say this is a huge challenge for Martin Schiller, which could make or break his 
career. Because you know, if if you can be successful with Jalgiris in the future, you might get some good offers as well. But if you don't succeed with Jalgiris, you will not be interesting to the top Euroleague teams, and you will be going back to the G League. You will be an assistant coach in the NBA or something like that. But if we talk about Euroleague, I think this year could make or break Martin Schiller's uh, career as a coach. In, in Europe, and you know, um, Jalgiris is an organization that is not v- really famous for emotional decisions, like firing a coach because they lost a game by thirty points, or, or or changing players during the season because they are not playing good enough. They are not known for that. They are actually a very professional organization a club that's uh, really rational in decision making and you usually trust Polis Motiunas and his judgment and uh, the team that he brings around him however if Jalgiris struggles this season Martin Schiller is not Yasikavichus Yasikavichus uh, could lose nine games in a row but everybody trusts him and Jalgiris still uh, has a fully packed arena sold out every week people trust in Sharas and all this stuff. Martin Schiller doesn't have this aura around him. And I don't think his chair is really safe because if at some point in the season, Jalgiris is losing, uh, struggling, not playing good enough, and uh, Paulus Motivas would see that the ticket sales are decreasing and the profits are lower and the general mood of the fans is that the coach is not the right one and he is the one to blame for these losses. I could see Jalgiris actually firing the coach in the season. Uh, it would be more of a financial than emotional decision. And it's a scenario I can imagine, which is why I'm saying this will be a very challenging season for Martin Schiller. If he does a good job throughout this year, then I would agree that Martin Schiller as a new face in the EuroLeague is adjusting really well and he is slowly becoming a good coach. So this will be a big, big, big year. There are a few things. The first first of all, uh, Paulus really likes Martin Schiller. They created a good bond uh, during the previous season, also during the summer. Uh, they were very happy. They were um, talking a lot about their all these signings, how to change the team and stuff like that. Uh, so their relationship is uh, great. Uh, the next thing is that, uh, okay, if you fire Martin Schiller, what do you sign, you know, to p- replace him? Do we have enough good no, Lithuanian head coaches? No, but this is not my point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not trying to be s- a sensationalist or make a con- controversial no, point I, here. I'm just, think, I'm just saying that it, his decision might be also based on the market situation. And you don't cannot find a lot of, let's say, mm, game changers on the EuroLeague head coaching market. But if bad results will affect ticket sales and their profits, which is very important this year after the pandemic, they, they, they need to get up on their feet and start selling tickets and making money once again from the arena. If you will see that they're losing games and it's affecting the sales and the fans are not happy with the coach, this will not be a personal decision. This this will be a financial decision, regardless of who they bring in to replace him. For the short term, it would provide a spark maybe for the fans to go back. I'm just saying that it's possible. I could see that happening. I could not see that happening with Sharas because with Sharas, yeah, no, they were losing no nine in a row. Yeah, It's not a problem. Actually, they lost how many, six, seven or eight last season with Schiller? 
Mm, he had a very bad stretch. But they stretch. were not selling tickets anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> it was not affecting anything other than the standings. And they finished with 50% uh, victories. Yeah, they yeah. won 17 games. So if they could do that again, it would be great. Yeah, but, you know, mm, when we think about ticket sales or, or, or something, uh, for example, if you bring Lithuanian coach like Danis Domaitis, the former Rita's coach. Uh, Might not be a popular decision. It, it, I, I, I don't think that it will increase the numbers. At the same time, I think that Kazis Maxvitas was the most attractive Lithuanian option for Polis Matunas moment, at yeah. that moment, but now he has duties with the national team and stuff like that, so it won't be easy. And talking about the foreigners, I mean, I don't see any like Andrea Trinkieri type of coaches who, who you know, bring some hype. Uh, who could but you bring know, we didn't know who Martin Schiller is before they signed him. We had no idea who is this guy. Now we know. Yeah, and the other thing is there that are other Martin Schillers around the world somewhere. But that's an interesting topic because, for example, we know that Paulus Matiunas and Mauricio Gardini uh, share their experiences a lot. They they have a great relationship. We uh, we see uh, we can witness the great relationship between Jagris and Fenerbahce, uh, and it was nice coincidence that Gardini signed Igor Kokoshkov and Paulus Matiuna signed Martin Schiller, two head coaches from the NBA environment. Yeah. But the thing is that Mauricio's experiments ended pretty quickly. Okay, it was mostly based on Kokoshkov's situation, but I wouldn't say that Fenerbahce would be very, very disappointed that Kokoshkov left because we saw some you know, drawbacks of that kind of uh, uh, decision. And uh, then... Again, it was based on the market situation. It was based on that the team was already built, so maybe they were looking for a head coach who would be, you know, who wouldn't need to make so many adjustments like Kokoshkov did. But he went back to, let's say, more old school, classic, classic coach, Serbian one, you know, yeah. destructor one. So I'm just, you know, guessing if it would have any impact on next Polis Matunas decision if he, you know, took. He he had enough with this different experience, but let's not fire no, Martin no, no, Schiller no. before I'm not the season. Yeah, I, yeah. I just wanted you know to say something like maybe yeah. uh, what kind of what kind what, what could happen impact. in the future and how the season could be for Jalgiris and their coach, uh, which brings another point that uh, basically in Europe there are two type of teams. Uh, some teams fire coaches because they need to win titles, they need to make the playoffs, they are struggling, they don't care about ticket sales because they don't make any profits. Let's say Moscow, let's say basically any Russian team. Um, and then you have on the other side teams like Maccabi, like Jalgiris. To them, it's important to have the full arena, to have these sold outs, to sell tickets because they need profits they generate from their arena. So their decision-making is based on, on finances and CSK Moscow's decision-making is purely based on results because they need to win every title every year. Just, just that, that at the, same the point time, I wanted to make. We are not sure uh, what the COVID situation will be, if we will have full gym, if there will be any restrictions. It's it's well uh, we have numbers we, increasing. We know what we know now that, uh, for example, in Lithuania, if you want to go to the arena, you need to have this uh, opportunity uh, passport. Which <laughs> sounds opportunity crazy. passport. <laughs> yeah, that, in, that's health how it sounds pass, in English. Health pass. Yeah, yeah, that's the better one. Um, so uh, then you can have your event. 
but listen, now we hear government government thinking about some making some adjustments because our numbers are increasing. And the last year, you also couldn't predict uh, that kind of wave. I mean, well, huge wave. However, I think we will not have the situation again with hope so. yeah. completely empty arenas. At least some capacity, yeah. you will be able to sell tickets this season. I hope so. Yeah. Because because then you know if for example the capacity will be, will be limited by fifty percent. Is there any difference if like seven thousand people coming to the arena or like five or yeah. four? And if this like empty arenas, if it goes on for a year, two, three years, mm-hmm. you could kill clubs like Jalgiris. Oh yes, Jalgiris, Maccabi, uh, Alba, probably. Yeah. That's you, bad. Because for Milano or CSK, it doesn't matter. It, they don't make money from tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not where their financing comes from. But let's, it's a completely let's different topic for maybe uh, some other time. L- yeah, yeah, let's let's have some fun. Before going to the our last part of our podcast, I forgot to ask you uh your action uh for Ataman's statement. Uh he told that again, it was very kind of complex answer. At first he told that with his team who he would make the NBA playoffs. Okay. But <laughs> but then he added that you know, if they would play in the NBA, probably they would have an opportunity to sign one or two stars or, you know, highest level NBA players. But I just want uh, to hear, you know, your your take about so, FSC so NBA I, playoffs. Should I talk about this roster making the NBA step playoffs? Step by step. Yeah, you or can go step I, by step. Well, you know, if, if you bring Kevin Durant here, <laughs> of course they will make the playoffs. <laughs> so what does it mean signing some NBA stars? I don't know. Ataman was just making a statement. Well, okay, let's put it this way. With this roster right now, there's no way they could make the NBA playoffs, obviously, because you need to play 82 games. Uh, you have so many veterans, and the NBA games are completely different, fast-paced. It's it's based on athleticism, based on your one-on-one ability. So guys like Runaslav Simon, I'm not sure if they could fit that. Tibor Plies no not really he tried in Utah Jazz it didn't work for him so uh, this F- F- Fournier Evan Fournier and Mike James approves because they also you know, from this roster let's say uh, Vasa Micic Shane Larkin 100% you can go with these guys if you add some others uh, why not Vasa could be your main point guard I, I wouldn't have a problem with yeah. that Brian Dunstan could work in some situations let's say as a rim protector but S- so we need a reinforcement in, in general position this roster would have absolutely no chance of making the NBA playoffs in this 82 games. Uh, you would need more depth for sure. You cannot cope with just 10 guys or even 12 guys you during the NBA regular season. You cannot players in like Turkish league. You like need 15 did. players and they have to be quality players if you are an NBA team looking to make the playoffs. Well, it again depends east or west. Once another question arises. But if you reinforce this Anadol FS by making some trades and free agent signings and you add Tavasa and Shane Larkin a couple of star you forwards. Just, I mean, realistically, what kind of uh, forwards would help the team you know, to think about the playoffs? No, I'm not talking about Kevin Durant. Yeah, I, ca- I, ca- I cannot have Kevin Durant and I cannot have LeBron James. For example. Um, I need to think... Well, let's take Brandon Ingram. He would oh, put this okay. team to a completely different level, and then so I need, need some defense as well. And then I need some bigger guy who can play power forward and center. Aaron Gordon. 
I would want someone But someone more skilled and with higher basketball IQ. Oh, he's he's a good defensive presence. He is, but I I would like to have somebody with more basketball IQ and more uh, skilled, I don't know. Okay. It's kind of Again, hard. That's a tough uh Well, let's say like this. Tough task. I would if I would have at center Bama DeBio, Brandon Ingram at small forward. I could live with all these other guys being and there. They're not that far away. Then. <laughs> they're not far away. No. <laughs> okay, so let's finish our podcast uh, again. Read is you know uh, for the dessert we have uh, all our favorite fives for the upcoming season, right? Yeah, I would. Ritis is always full of all these ideas <laughs> how to finish our podcast. I would call this just simply my favorite five. So for the upcoming Euroleague season, we picked in each position our favorite players. They're not necessarily the best players. They're just the ones that we like for some reason we will try to explain. So uh, once again, from power, point guard to center. So okay. what's your Would, favorite point guard right okay, now? Okay, I'm, in, in I'm taking Vasilya Misic. Okay. Because I know him well. Uh, I like his uh, skill. Um, he has no comparisons in Europe uh, in, in terms of his style, in terms of his size, the way he reads the game. Uh, the way he 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 makes shots and stuff, the way he makes his teammates involved. I like his uh, character. Uh, he has a very sharp thinking. Uh, he's very honest. Uh, he was very honest. For example, I, I was surprised that he was not like surprised, but he was discussing with Shane Larkin about their you know summer situation. He was not trying to convince him, "Hey, man, stay." He was just trying to say that I would be happy like if you would stay in the team. He was not like forcing uh, him. Uh and he talked about his option to move to Oklahoma, right? Yeah, and he mentioned that uh the situation he would like in the NBA would be the one like w- one example, like Campazo had a clear role in Denver but for a contender team or he wants to be the main guy actually. He feels that he can run the team as a point guard because he doesn't want to be the off-ball player because he thinks that in the end he could, you know, bring more positives okay. for his team than than negatives. I, I agree with this point of view completely. I, I, and I could see him running an NBA team. Me too. Definitely. Me too. Oklahoma maybe at that moment didn't look like the best situation. However, Kemba Walker uh. didn't end up there. It was another trade, so I don't know. Uh but I'm pretty sure we'll, we will still see him in the NBA. So, so I, I just like the overall, you know, yeah. Uh, well, box uh, of things he 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 brings to the card not just the game wise but also so the way So in this case the best player is at the same time your favorite <laughs> yeah. player, so it yeah. was a re- really easy, easy the MVP. Easy well, for me it was also easy to make up my mind this morning because I had another name but since Mike James is coming back so I have to have him in my favorite five. Obviously, he's my point guard. And I'm gonna cheer for him once again. Um, I feel sometimes um, I don't know uncomfortable wearing a jersey with the player, uh, a shirt with the player involved in the CSK jersey because in Lithuania it's not that popular. Yeah. But um, when somebody asks me, I try to explain, guys, this is not for 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 Moscow. This is for Mike James. Uh, I'm sorry, he was a CSK player at the moment. Now I will have to think about some options for Monaco. Maybe you will be going to Monaco during the season, so we, you'll try to get some gifts from me. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, that's that's a good <laughs> yeah, idea. Uh, so there's not much else to be said because we talked about Mike a lot in in this podcast as well as in the previous ones. I explained why i like him so much uh, what's so exciting about his game and 
I'm just looking forward to seeing him again. Uh, my shooting guard uh, choice was Corey Higgins. Uh, in my eyes, uh, among the scorers, I would say he he's the most predictable. He, I mean, you know, most reliable. Yeah, that's that's a better word. You know what you will get from him on the court. In my eyes, he's a real pro. Uh, he's he's a clutch player. He's a great teammate. You don't see him complaining. Sometimes he seems to be, you know, eyes blooded. It's very hard to see him getting emotional and stuff. So again, for me, he looks like being a real pro. He's a first class uh, player, and it was really easy decision. Uh, different than yours you, you told that you had a hard time yeah finding about your the shooting, shooting guard. guard but you know still uh, i wanted to say some things about Corey. Uh, the funny thing is he's probably the best shooting guard in euroleague right now you could argue that he is and he's you could say that he's like a top five player in the euroleague right now but he was never considered the best player on his team when he was in moscow you would say this is the colos and rodriguez team Mm-hmm. But Corey Higgins was the one yeah. stepping up in the Final Four. Uh, also, there was Will Clyburn when they won their last title. But you would not say that Corey Higgins is the best player on this team, the biggest star on this team. It was about the Colo, about Chacho, even about Will Clyburn. You could say or Kyle Heinz yeah. in Barcelona. In Barcelona, the situation is the same. Although, in my eyes, when you have Mirotic, when you have uh, Kalaitis. For me, Higgins is, is the yeah, guy to rely I, I on. I always want to have him the ball in his hands when it's the deciding the deciding last minutes of the game. But still, you you could say that Mirotic is a bigger star. And Kalatas, well, not necessarily, but as a European basketball presence, you could say he's more famous, more popular. So it's interesting that Corey Higgins is a, maybe a top five player in Europe right now, but he's never considered the best player on his own team uh, but it's a good choice of course once again you went for quality I actually picked a player from Barcelona as well and I will explain my decision uh, Kyle Kuric yes it's Kyle Kuric I love when my shooting guard is a pure shooter he doesn't need to be a ball handler but he has to be a pure shooter so in the previous years I would have picked JC Carroll now I mm. will go for Kyle Kuric his numbers last year were crazy hit 57% three-pointers and he took like 160 shots. Yeah, he was so efficient because he had a great coach, you know, to make him play. Of course, and it was the same for his mid-range shooting also, like 60%. And yes, Shadows has some plays for him that they run successfully and he plays like three, four minutes, then he subbed, then he comes back once again for three or four minutes, he can change the game he averages like 15 minutes per game in EuroLeague, but his impact is, is really big on the offense. On defense, he puts a lot of effort, which I like. He is not like known for elite defensive abilities, but he is a hard worker. That's how, how Kyle Kuric looks to me. And some other things. Previously, when he played, for, let's say, for Zenit, he was unstoppable. In EuroCup, there was no stopping him. He, he, scored, he was scoring like 20 points per game with, once again, 59% three-point shooting, which is crazy. And finally, the way he overcame his uh, health problems. We mm-hmm. remember in the past he had yeah. he had a tumor. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was and really bad. It was like scary 
but he overcame all these issues and he came back to playing basketball and now he is playing for one of the best teams in Europe and uh, he's a pure shooter how old is he I uh, 32 he, for me he, he could be the JC Carroll of Barcelona he could play for like till 40 or something just that he joined being already like 30 years old yeah yeah JC yeah. Carroll came in a lot younger but they're similar in a way I would agree so he's my shooting guard in the favorite five Okay, then I have uh, Kruno Simon as my small forward. I mean, he's the best example of finding the best balance between, you know, on the court things and off the court things. <laughs> he's a great teammate. Uh, he's a great player. He's he. It seems like the game comes to him in a natural way. He has that IQ. He makes his teammates better. Uh, he saved. FS asses last year in the quarterfinals against against Real Madrid with the crazy three point shot, and he's thirty six. He has so much. To, I mean, teammates like him a lot. He's a very easy uh, going player. Who also is kind of a late bloomer uh, because he he made the Euroleague. He made the you know highest level being like 28, 29, 30. He started that kind of journey pretty late. And uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Kruno is just unbelie- unbelievable. We have the same guy. Yeah. I also picked Kruno, Kruno Simon. And he is a prime example to everybody that you can be a great basketball player without uh, a lot of athleticism, power, or muscle. Just playing very smart basketball and very intelligent basketball. Uh, he is left-handed, which makes him difficult to guard. And he is very smart. He, You could say he's a small forward, but actually he's a playmaker. Yeah. He's the ball handler. He is so good on the pick and rolls. Uh, his, sh- his shooting is kind of consistent. And um, he uses the bank shot a lot, which is not so common anymore. But he is shooting off the backboard so often, these floaters or runners that he likes. His, uh, I don't know, driving abilities are different to any other player you would say from Euroleague. When he finishes, he doesn't finish strong to the rim. It's kind of a... He takes two steps like in handball. He's like an, and he's he takes an old this, school guy. this runner. And he makes these shots. And this is why he can still play for a elite team being 36 years old. And he's like their third option, I would say. Larkin, yeah. Mitsic, yeah. Bobois, well, he's a streaky shooter, but if you talk about ball handlers and creators, mm-hmm. Krunoslav Simon is the third wheel, the third guy yeah. that uh, really accompanies Larkin and Mitsic so good that at s- in some games when, when Larkin has an off night or Mitsic is struggling, mm-hmm. Ataman can trust Kruno and say this, this Croatian guy will have the ball now and he will decide his game. So, yeah, my favorite player at the third position as well. Uh, I have another veteran as my power forward. It's Will Thomas, who we already discussed in the beginning of the podcast, uh, mostly because he's super efficient. He was very important for Zenit last season. He he keeps, you know, providing the highest level basketball, although he's like 35, probably something like that. 
and uh, he again super professional very intelligent um, neither of the teams had any problems with him except from this case with stra- strange situation with Unix and when we you know when we talked that Will Thomas is joining Monaco we, we considered it, it as a huge upgrade and he would be a huge upgrade for any top eight, eight top eight team uh, I would say so I just like that mix of level of that kind of uh, mentality professionalism and yeah. he's just a very good import player player you would love to have for any team yes someone who brings physicality and experience to the team and uh for me he he looked all like ex- he looked experienced all the time when he was like 26 27 28 It's just what happened this summer was kind of strange with mm. with Kazan. But yeah. he found a new team. He's going to be in Monaco. So it's a good choice. But I chose a much younger player, which we also mentioned quite a lot in our podcast. So uh, I had to go for Gershon Yabusele. Ah, okay. I mean, I was such a big <laughs> fan of Boris Diaw that anyone who kind of reminds me of Boris Diaw, I have to like him. And in general i just uh, enjoy watching big guys with uh, passing skills whether it's power forward or center but when a big guy can pass from the post or from facing the basket it's a huge advantage for any team and in in real madrid team which is based on ball movement and passing gershania buselli is like the perfect fit at the same time he has a very strong body he can do a lot of good things on defense he can bully other players I, from what I see and what I saw in the Olympics, he's becoming more confident uh, shooting the ball, which is also important if you talk about his abilities to stretch the floor. So there's a lot to like about him. I haven't heard any interviews with him, but he looks like a very nice guy. I can imagine he's a really nice guy, so my favorite power forward in this upcoming season. I probably can imagine your second option after both Kruno and uh, Yabusele. I was surprised you didn't mention Simone Fontecchio. Fontecchio, yeah, you, it could be co- he could be considered surely, mm. but uh, I was so fixed on Kruno Simone that I really didn't <laughs> think about anybody else. Okay, uh, my pick for the center is a number former Jalgiris player, Brandon Davis. Uh, I like the way he kind of, you know, changed. I wouldn't say he changed the approach, but he's a great uh, player, you know, for for switching defense, you know, for playing the crucial minutes in the, on the defensive end in the end of the games. Uh, uh, I like his talent, how he develops through years. And Jalgiris, he was not very skilled at that moment when he just joined Jalgiris after Monaco. Uh, but in a very, uh, like, in a very short period of time, uh, I remember all the Jalgiris players were kind of surprised They didn't see the player making such a huge uh, change in his game, making developing so fast like Brandon Davis did because he was always uh, working out. He was always uh, doing a lot, you know, to make his game better. 
And I love the way he adjusted in Barca. He became, again, one of the most imp important players for that team. But besides that, I also love the way he is. You can see he has a beautiful family. You can follow them on Instagram. You can see what kind of family guy he is. But at the same time, he's such a fighter. Uh, that what I like the most about him and Jalgiris. I remember following Jalgiris' team in previous years. And Jalgiris had that a miracle season when they lost six they, they were losing and they won six in a row to make the playoffs and i remember the moment uh, I, I don't remember which locker room it was but it was probably you know another loss which kind of ruled uh, jalgiris chances uh, ruled them out of the playoff uh, uh chances uh, playoff contention and i remember i was even talking with some some between and jalgiris players and it seemed like they kind of okay they, I mean, they, they thought that it's done. The season is over for them. No playoffs. Let's just have fun uh, during the end of the season. And then, then in the corner, I saw Brandon Davis. For me, even though it's Jalgiris, even though there were many great Lithuanian players on that team with character, it seemed like he took that loss, you know, the, in the most painful uh, way. He was always so into himself. He's, he was always disappointed, bla bla blaming himself for all these losses and stuff. So he has a big heart. He's not only a great player, but he has a big heart too. Yeah, what I wanted to say actually is uh, I love his passion on the court and his craziness. Mm. Maybe sometimes he drives Shadows crazy, Shadows but for like me as a spectator, I love to see him grabbing the rebound and going coast to coast. And I know that Shadows at this moment is doing something like this. And he knows that Shadows <laughs> is getting crazy. <laughs> but he is going, but believes, he's he going believes coast himself. to coast and he stops yeah. and then he makes sort of a dream shake and... And that ninja look, I mean... If he scores, if, if it's an end one, it's okay. But sometimes he travels. <laughs> and when, when he does that, oh my God. <laughs> but this is the passion. This is, yeah. uh, you see that this guy is really enjoying playing basketball and, and living his life. So yeah, good choice. And I, I do like Brandon Davis as well. But How, however, uh, I chose, um, I would say, my favorite classical center right now in EuroLeague, which is Nikola Milutinov. Ah, okay. He is a big guy who is playing better and better with every season. If you remember him in Olympiakos, with every year his numbers are increasing, every year he looks better and better, every year his feet moves quicker and quicker to the point that uh, there were some seasons when he would be playing and switch all defense, even though he's uh, a, a really tall, you could say a slow center, but he's not that slow. Um, and he started in Moscow great. He was the MVP of the month, I, I believe December or, or something like that, or November. Uh, he had the record of offensive rebounds per game when they played in Milan. Um, just a shame he had that injury. It was a serious injury. Now he's bouncing back and he's going to start fresh this season. Uh, so he does all these fundamental things consistently and with great quality, whether it's the second chance chance points, whether it's the defensive rebounds, block shots, uh, just scoring from the paint. He is a reliable free throw shooter. He can make the mid-range jump shot. He's sort of a classical center. He can play his back to the basket. But at the same time, he is not like some other centers you would say they are attacking him with pick and rolls mm. and the team is suffering. You don't feel that with Milutinov when he's on the court. So he's a, just such a great guy. I, 
I would like to see him in the NBA maybe one day. He was drafted, I believe, by San Antonio Spurs. Mm-hmm. So maybe he will go there in, in a few years' time. But right now, probably he has his mindset on winning a EuroLeague title with, with Moscow because from Olympiacos to Moscow, it was a step in the right direction, I would say. So he is actually my favorite center. I, I enjoy watching him. And another player which is great to have in your fantasy team yeah. because he brings a double-double almost every game. Yeah, you can consider him as a, one of your top picks. Yeah. If he stays healthy, he should be dominating. I hope he stays healthy. It's just a shame he had his injury last season. And the best thing is about Milutinov, Vasily Misic as well, that Milutinov is only 26. When you think about Milutinov, you consider him as a, like a 30-year-older. 30, 30 Vasily Misic, 27. That's crazy, you know, when we talk about that kind of level of IQ uh, they 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 play like they look so experienced. So it's it's great that we'll have a chance to enjoy them for so many years. Sometimes I go I go to sleep thinking that Serbian national team could have uh, their centers Jokic, Milutinov, and Marjanovic. <laughs> Just like, what do you do with that? <laughs> I, I mean, Nikola they, Jokic they is they the best center them. right now in in the, I in think the they world. They had them like. Two years ago? In China? I think so. I think so. Or somebody was injured, I, maybe? I, I don't think... I think Radulisa was still with them. Because oh, Radulisa is always with They need Serbia. to have Radulisa, but to have these free... I mean, you have Jokic already. It's unfair that you also have Milutinov and Marjanovic. Yeah, Radulisa was there. Jokic, Milutinov... And Marjanovic and Radulica as well. <laughs> oh my oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and Nemanja Belica, it's crazy. Yeah. <sighs> it's unfair. <laughs> no, it's unfair. I agree. Why would you have all these other guys? You have the Joker already, just leave the others to somebody else. And then else. you have Vasily Misic also on that team. They're just stacked. They're freaks. How Serbians are I mean, freaks they didn't make the, the Olympics, but if in upcoming years they will bring all these guys, Bogdan Bogdanovic, my man. Brate, wow. crazy. <laughs> yeah, but probably it's not appropriate for the uh, for the podcast. Anyway, pretty much it, right? Yeah, so this is my favorite five, your favorite five. Um it would be interesting to see these match up. Kronoslav Simon against Kronoslav Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but um I like your your picks. Um, I maybe went uh, in some cases for Someone, someone I, I like uh, more than someone who is the better player. Uh, especially, I tried to combine. You know, yeah. I also had some fetish on some players, but yeah, so I just trying to n- find the best next combination. Next time we will come up with something else, and you can actually suggest some ideas. Maybe uh, something you want to hear. Some uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a five. It could be a uh-huh. di- some discussions or any topics yeah, you would crazy like to predictions or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah one day maybe we'll make a Q&A podcast yeah Q&A podcast could be interesting and also please share your all favorite fives for the upcoming season uh, below uh, in the comment section uh, on, on the YouTube you, you can find our podcast uh, on basketnews.com on basket news channel in the YouTube and also all the main audio pl- platforms so Ridis Vishnauskas, Donatas Rubunas, that was a pleasure. See you next time.